Welcome to Faith Seeking Understanding. I'm John Green, and I'm your host. It is Easter Sunday, the grandest day of the year, the day of days, actually the centerpiece of all of history. Everything after the creation by God in the beginning points to this moment in time, and everything was gained by this, and everything was changed. Nothing is the same after Easter as it was prior to that, because before that, there was only the hope of the resurrection. There was a belief in the resurrection, but it was a belief that was founded only in the Word of God, not in something that had actually happened. And since the resurrection, now we know that resurrection is true. We no longer have to fear death. We no longer have to fear anything at all, because we know that the resurrection of the dead is an established fact because Jesus came back from the dead. Nothing in your life should be the same because of that one plain fact that Jesus was raised from the dead. And we know that it's a fact because it's established by many witnesses. Paul says that Jesus appeared to about five, more than 500 brothers at one time. And then he goes on to point out to the Corinthians, most of whom are still alive, though some have fallen asleep. And what's the point of saying that? It's saying you can go ask anybody. There are plenty of people you can speak with who saw Jesus come back from the dead. They saw him resurrected after he was laid in the tomb. So Paul's given him an opportunity to go and prove him wrong at the same time. And so he, he's saying, you've got many witnesses. All you've got to do is go over there and, and talk to some folks, and they'll tell you all this stuff. And, and it's, it's a similar sort of a situation to when God gave the law at Sinai in some ways, because it was given in front of many witnesses. All the people of Israel heard the first part of the declaration of God, of the new co- of the old covenant. And so the, the same holds true here, where there are many witnesses that do this. And, and just like I've said in the past, that, that the first people we know of who didn't believe in a virgin birth are Mary and Joseph, I mean, Mary couldn't have been any more clear, right? Uh, How can such things be, seeing that I'm a virgin? And Joseph's desire to put her away quietly tells us everything we needed to know about what he believed about a virgin birth. Absolutely not what happened. So we know they didn't believe in a virgin birth, but they were also the first people who saw a virgin birth. They're the first people who experienced a virgin birth. And so there's there's a, a... an element of doubt that's there. It's not just that they're pre-scientific rubes. No, nobody believed in a virgin birth, and yet it happened. People believed in the resurrection of the dead, but nobody believed it completely. And the proof of that is the way that everybody reacts when they first see Jesus. Thomas isn't the only one who doubts this stuff. Every single one of them doubted it. John says in his gospel today that he looked in and he saw and he believed when he looked into the empty tomb. The question is, though, what does that mean? Because here's exactly what it says. Then the other disciple, who's John, who had reached the tomb first, also went in and he saw and believed. And then it says, for as yet they did not understand the scripture that he must rise from the dead. And then the disciples went back to their homes. That's a pretty odd reaction for somebody to believe that Jesus had been raised from the dead. Wouldn't you, like, go look for him? It's odd that they say that. And then we see this scene with Mary Magdalene, who has gone there early that morning 
to care for the body probably, but she's gone there even while it was still dark. And so she gets there and she's the one who actually finds the stone has been rolled away. We're not told that she looked in the tomb. She just comes to the conclusion that the body has been stolen. Somebody has moved it and she's at pains with everybody she talks to, including angels and then including Jesus, who she takes for the gardener, to find out where he has been lain. She's not looking for resurrection. She's looking for a dead body. And then what does she find? What she finds is this gardener knows her by name, and when she hears that voice call her name, she knows exactly who it is, Rabboni, teacher. It's amazing. She so did not believe in the resurrection that she didn't recognize Jesus standing before her. She disbelieved for joy. It can't be that true. And then it was. And it changed everything. It changed everything for every one of these people who believed. For some of them, it'll ultimately mean their death for proclaiming the resurrection of Jesus Christ. For others, it'll mean imprisonment. But for all, it means eternal life. They didn't consider those other things, those punishments that they would receive, to be the critical thing to consider any longer. They only considered the resurrection of the dead, the resurrection of Jesus Christ, the gospel, that his death meant life for us, that meant that we are reconciled to God through his self-sacrifice on the cross. His resurrection means that all those who are found in him will experience the same kind of Passover that the Hebrews experienced in the land of Egypt when they were saved from death because their doorposts were covered in the blood of the Lamb. And we, Christians, are covered in the blood of the Lamb that is Jesus Christ, the Lamb looking like it was slain who comes before the throne of God in Revelation 5 and is worthy out of everyone in heaven and on earth and under the earth, even more worthy than any of the angels is this lamb looking like it was slain, which is before the throne. And now that one is worthy to open the scroll and begin everything that moves towards its conclusion in the coming again in judgment of Jesus and the renewal of all creation and the new creation coming down out of heaven. All that begins at this moment when when he is slain and raised from the dead and then 40 days later ascends to the Father. But the beginning of the end is Good Friday and the beginning of the beginning is Easter Sunday morning when Christ is risen from the dead and death has been conquered as Isaiah had prophesied in the past, that that death would be swallowed up forever, and the Lord God will wipe away tears from all faces, and the reproach of his people he will take away from the earth, for the Lord has spoken. It will be said on that day, behold, this is our God. We have waited for him that he might save us. This is the Lord. We have waited for him. Let us be glad and rejoice in his salvation. The salvation of the world is accomplished and finished in the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. Because he lives, all things are possible. In a post-resurrection world, literally everything and anything is possible. Through us, through the prayers of God's people, 
because that's exactly what he promises time and time again through the book of John. It's the prayers of the people. Anything you ask in my name, it'll be given to you. And he says it again and again in that last discourse on uh, Maundy Thursday night when he's there in the upper room with the disciples. He says it so many times, it's almost unbelievable. If you don't read it looking for that, sometimes it's easy to overlook it and think he said it once. But no, he said it three or four times that same evening that our prayers mean something to him. And our prayers reach the throne of God where Jesus is at the right hand of the Father interceding for us and the Spirit within us groans where we're unable to speak and makes those prayers and supplications known before the throne of God and the risen Christ there who loves us enough to die for us intercedes before the throne of the Father on our behalf. He tells us to pray. He tells us to come before Him, come before that throne of grace and come with thanksgiving and come with boldness before that throne. And we can do that because of Jesus, because of His sacrifice, but mostly because of His resurrection. And when He was resurrected, He didn't come and, and come in judgment. He could have shown up with the disciples that night when He appears behind the locked door. He could show up and say, I'm judging all of you because you betrayed me. You left me all alone. He could have said, Peter, I warned you in advance that you were going to betray me three times that very night, and you did it anyway. You're too weak to be my apostles. You're too fearful of men to be the ones who will carry this on. But instead, he came and he said, Shalom, peace be with you to the men who had left him. He spoke that word to them because he loved them and he forgave them and he commissioned them to be his apostles. And then with Paul, as Paul says, and I'm the least of the apostles, unworthy to even be called one because I persecuted the church of God. But by the grace of God, I am what I am and his grace toward me was not in vain. On the contrary, I worked harder than any of them, though it was not I, but the grace of God that's within me. Jesus could have shown up in judgment that day as Paul was on the road to Damascus, but he didn't. It probably felt like judgment when he was blinded and heard the voice from heaven proclaim that it was Jesus in heaven, the one that he had been persecuting, the one he had denied, the Messiah. But instead, he struck with this blindness for just a short season of time and then the Lord sent a man called Ananias to come and anoint him and heal him and commission him to be an apostle. This man who had so persecuted the church now becomes an apostle of the Lord Jesus Christ. That's the kind of God we serve. That's the kind of Messiah we have, one who forgives, one who searches us out, calls us to himself, one who died for even the sins that we commit against him because ultimately all sin is a sin against God. And so Jesus takes all of that on his shoulders and carries that to the cross, and it stays in the tomb, but he doesn't. The angels come and they release him, and then he leaves that folded napkin that had been on his head. It's a signal that because it's folded that he's coming back. And so we know without question that he's 
coming back. And he's coming back for his church. He's coming back for his people to take us to himself. That wherever he is, we might be as well. He has saved us from our sins, saved us from our own foolishness, saved us from our own failures. Our past is swallowed up in the cross of Christ. And our hopes are fulfilled in the resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ. And, and sometimes, yes, it can seem that it's too good to be true. And that's what they all experienced that day. But this is too good to actually be true. And so nobody could believe that this had happened. We see the same thing with the disciples on the road to Emmaus with whom Jesus walks for a period of time and then stops to eat with them. And not until he breaks the bread are their eyes open and they see that it's him and then he's gone. We have to ask for our eyes to be open to resurrection every single day of our lives. We should be looking every single day with hope and excitement and joy to what he might do today because of resurrection. We should never fear again. We should never fear man again. We should fear only the one who has the power over the soul. But today... We don't fear at all. We rejoice. We rejoice for he is risen. The greatest words ever spoken, he is risen. The Lord is risen indeed. Alleluia is the response to that. There's no other way to respond to it. Because we know it's true, because he proved it again and again, and he's proving it in our lives to this very day. He proves it in the lives of the people around us every single day. He proves it when he answers prayer. He proves it when he does things that only he can do. He proves that he is alive through his people, filled with his spirit after the day of Pentecost. He is alive, and he's alive and active in this world through his people who cooperate with and obey the movement and the words of his spirit to do the things that he would have us do in the world to share his glory, to show forth our love, his love for the world. That's who we're supposed to be every single day of our lives. No matter what our circumstances of our lives are, we're to be those who share the love of Christ and the joy of Christ and the hope of Christ with all the world. Paul breaks it down, makes it easy in that 1 Corinthians passage about what is the gospel. He said, I delivered to you as of first importance what I also received. One, that Christ died for our sins in accordance with the Scripture. Two, that he was buried. Three, that he was raised on the third day in accordance with the Scriptures and that he appeared to Cephas, Peter, then to the twelve. Then he appeared to more than 500 brothers at a time, most of whom are still alive, though some have fallen asleep. Then he appeared to James, and then to all the apostles. Last of all, as to one untimely born, he appeared also to me. That's the gospel. It's also the creed. It's also the thing that we recite in our worship services every single time we worship, whether we worship with morning prayer, evening prayer, or at communion, we're always saying a creed, whether it be the Apostles' Creed in morning and evening prayer or the Nicene Creed in the communion. That's the prayer that we pray. That's the truth that we speak to the world. It's our truth, and it's meant to be deeply ingrained in us, so deeply ingrained that that credo, that I believe, is to become the guiding force in everything that we do. That's what believing means is that I believe these things 
to be true against every other truth claim in the world. And therefore, I'm a different person because I believe these things. It's not like it's a common thing to proclaim that Jesus was born of a virgin, died on a Roman cross, suffered death, was buried, and then rose again after three days and will come again in glory to judge the living and the dead and that the Holy Spirit has been given to those who believe. That's not a normal set of things to say. It makes you different from the rest of the world, that you not only believe in, in, in one sense of the word, believe, but no, it's, it's I believe with all my heart and all my soul at a level that this makes me who I am, that I believe these things. It made these men different. The resurrection did. The resurrection changed everything. These men began to have strength, and they began to be fearless because of the resurrection of the dead. They saw something that changed them utterly, and they never, ever denied it throughout their own lives. No matter how much they were persecuted, no matter what it meant for them, they never, ever denied it. Chuck Colson said to him, as a Watergate conspirator, that was the greatest proof of all was the lives of those men, because he said, I know that we couldn't keep a secret among us. And people were willing to sing to save their own necks. These men were so changed, so completely convinced that this was true, that they were willing to lay down and lose their lives rather than renounce that truth. It's a remarkable thing that they did that. Do we live in fear? Do we live in fear of men? Do we live in fear of what somebody would think if we post something on Facebook or wherever it is we might do social media? Are we concerned that our friends who, who don't love Jesus might be offended because we do? Are we afraid that we won't be able to defend our faith when it's attacked? Well, know this, that it's true. It's easy to defend the truth. And that's what Paul's saying here is it's an easy thing to defend the truth. And in his day, you can go find these people, you can look them up, but it's the same with the Word of God written. These Gospels were written within the memory of people who would absolutely have been able to refute them if they were able to do so. But the inability to produce a body is a problem in that circumstance. So they say, oh, the apostles hid it somewhere. They reburied the body somewhere. Well, I'm promising you, just like I told you about Chuck Colson, there's no way in the world that if that happened, that these men would have died the deaths that they died or lived the lives that they lived under intense persecution. That would not have happened. Now, Paul is the one who speaks to us most clearly in so many ways because Paul's one who didn't see the resurrection. He's not saying, I have proof. He said he appeared to all these, but then he appeared to me in a different way. Not in that bodily form, the way he did with these guys. He appeared to me as a voice, as a light. And so we, who are born out of time, can have our own encounter with Jesus, with the resurrected Christ. And it's meant to change us just the same way that it changed Paul, the same way that it changed all these apostles. It's meant to make us new creations, filled with his Holy Spirit, filled with joy, filled with boldness. And our prayers then become efficacious. They become able 
to accomplish great things because Jesus says, greater things than these will you do. Well, I've seen great things. Uh, There's nothing that's ever going to compare to the resurrection of Jesus from the dead, though, because the truth is nothing can compare to that because it's the hope of all mankind that he has returned from the dead. He is our hope. He is our everything. And that hope is secure because he was raised from the dead and because they saw him also ascend to the Father. And then John saw the rest of things in the Revelation. So this day, this is the day. Rejoice and be glad in this day because all your hope rests on this events of of this day, the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. Today is a day for great blazing joy because he has risen. Share that joy now with the world. Go and tell that gospel. Say, I not only believe this, I know it. I know it with all my being to be the truth that Jesus Christ died on a cross on Good Friday and God raised him from the dead on Easter Sunday. And those two things mean everything in the world to me because it means that everything that I've ever done wrong is swallowed up and left in that tomb. And the only thing that comes out of that tomb is righteousness and life. And Christ is my righteousness. And he is my life.